Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. Hey Sean. Hey man, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, good. Surviving this week and last week, I don't know. I saw your tweet earlier today about you having not that great of a week and I was like, haha, that makes two of us. So oh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> How's your week going? Do you want to? Yeah. Is there anything you you feel like you can share about how you're feeling? I think it is more of this feeling of like being scattered. Mm -hmm. I think that's this is also a problem of like allowing too much of my happiness to be directly related to (laughs) my productivity. But, you know, so I don't feel like I've been as productive the past two, like the past week and this week. And I think it could also do with it's the feeling of like you're never doing enough, right? You know, why am I not doing two pitches a week? Why am I only doing one pitch a week? Or why don't we have more money in our pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. Sounds like we were in very similar places. Um, I don't know if I would have used the word scattered, but just last week I was feeling totally overwhelmed and really feeling like my confidence was shaken. Mm. I was just questioning whether I had not just the skills to do this, but also just the endurance. Mm -hmm. Because growing an agency, growing any type of business is totally an endurance sport. And it's just, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's exhausting. And I mean, everyone has had a a brutal year. And I will say, I just joined Bureau of Digital, Mm -hmm. which is like an organization for agencies and service businesses. Cool. And I've been hanging out in their Slack a little bit. And it sounds like a lot of what we've been going through, a lot of agencies have been going through, which is mm-hmm. like team members leaving, moving to different places, sort of highs and lows in terms of legion. And mm-hmm. that's been helpful. And yeah, the, the tweet you referenced, I trying to be a little vulnerable and talk about some of the lows. And also, I am definitely feeling better this week. Mm-hmm. And so there have been a, a few things that have been helpful there. But yeah, you mentioned being too tied to productivity. And for me, it's productivity and the business are very, very linked. And so yeah. I have talked extensively with both my therapist and with several friends about tying my identity to things other than the business. But it is a constant battle. I don't even know what you would tie it to otherwise. I don't know why you wouldn't tie it to <laughs> <laughs> So I know that was a joke, but... It's kind of a real question, right? Like if if you don't tie your identity to what you do, what should you tie it to? And the advice that I have always gotten from my therapist is you tie it to your values because then the question is like, am I living up to my values? Mm. And you always have control, almost always have control of your own actions. Mm -hmm. You don't have control over your sales pipeline. You may think you do, you may want to, but you don't have control. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) What have you been doing to try to get yourself out of a funk? Oh, man. I have this problem where anytime I hit a funk, it takes me a while to recognize that I should take action to get out of it. So it was very helpful to see your tweet this morning, actually. That that helps validate you sharing because that was super helpful for me. It's like, wait a second. I know I'm not feeling great, but I probably can go do something about it. But 
usually takes me like probably a week or so to kind of like for that to strike me. I mean, in the past, I think just having a better sleep schedule and, and food and whatnot is usually pretty helpful. Do you follow Peter Levels? Mm-mm. Who's that? He's an indie hacker. Um, he started a remote community called Remote OK, like an online community for remote workers. Oh, okay. was sort of one of the mm-hmm. faces of kind of the digital nomad community for a, a while and mm-hmm. has launched several products. He's really interesting because he talks very openly about what he does and is kind of a contrarian. Like, I think he had... Nomad list? Nomad list, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's sort of his core community business. But nice. Remote OK at one point was doing like, I want to say like something crazy, like 50K a month in or 100K a month in sales. And he was like very open about it being all one PHP file. Like he just like does not give a shit about the way you're supposed to do things. And is very open about yeah. being sort of scrappy and just doing things however it works for him. Mm-hmm. So he had this great, great Twitter thread a while ago this was like a couple of years ago now, I think, but it has stuck with me. And it was basically just like, are you feeling bad? Mm-hmm. Have you gone outside? Have you gone to the gym? Have you talked to a friend? Have you? And it's just this long list of things that are all just like simple things that make us feel better. Yeah. But that we forget to do when we're in a funk. Yeah. And I've always thought it'd be fun to turn that list into a little like web app or a little micro site mm-hmm. that you could just pull up anytime and just click through and go, oh, okay, this is the yeah. <laughs> this is the thing I need to try next. Or at least you know get a few ideas or something. Yeah. Um, I think I even yeah. bought a domain at one point. Nice. And never nice, did nice. anything with it. Imagine you had a app on your phone that used AI to predict when you were feeling sad. So at the times where you need the most Instead of you reaching out for help, it just bugs you like that Duolingo owl thing <laughs> that just nags at you and it pops up and it's like, hey, <laughs> have you drank some water today? I'm sure somebody's working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah. In any case, you know, starting to feel a little bit better. Got to go see some friends last night. So that was awesome. Or rather see some people that are part of security Twitter that I looked up to for a while and they're like, hey, we're in New Jersey. Want to hang out? And I was like, yeah, I thought we were going to like maybe do like a Zoom call or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. So that was cool. Yeah. Shout out to Ben and Cassie. Great, great, wonderful people. What did they do? So Ben, wow, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Ben, Ben's handle online is, I'm going to mispronounce this and he's going to yell at me later, but it's PryoCC. And he also, he runs OX. OXEC and then Cassie. So they just got married, which so congrats to you, y'all. But Cassie, cool. she does really awesome stuff at Greylog, is what I know. I don't know what her full title is, actually. Yeah, he just happened to be, you know, in the area and he was like, want to get dinner? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've realized that um, for me, when I'm in a funk, like social interaction, mm-hmm. just I'm an extrovert mm-hmm. and I need to be around people. So social interaction and then some sort of physical activity are like kind of the two things that mm-hmm. I need to do first. Gotcha. And I really feel like for me, physical activity is kind of like sort of like a linchpin mm-hmm. or like a, an anchor habit or something. Mm-hmm. If I'm being consistently active, then I, even if I have a bad day or a bad week, I'm more likely to be able to pull myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I am not doing something active, 
then I will not recognize it and I will struggle. So mm-hmm. good on you for uh, going in and spending some time with some friends. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Thanks. I'm saying absolutely isn't like really, really, you know, thanks to them for dragging me out. <laughs> I think this was really brought on by like the number of different Zoom meetings I've had. Like as much mm-hmm. as I like meeting people, I think I'm very, I think it can be pretty introverted. Mm-hmm. I definitely need time to recharge. And I think a lot of my job has become meeting after meeting after meeting and definitely feeling the Zoom fatigue. Finally. Yeah. Like, it was fine all of quarantine. But yeah, definitely, definitely feeling it, getting a little resting Zoom face, you know. Um, yeah. Um, I was definitely not fine all of quarantine. It's, <laughs> it's coming waves. It yeah. is coming waves yeah. for me, for sure. Um, yeah, I, even as an extrovert, mm-hmm. Zoom fatigue's real and it's painful. Yeah. Um, and just meeting fatigue in, in general. Yeah. I feel like Zoom is, makes it a little more tiresome, but mm-hmm. anytime I've got a week that's just completely wall-to-wall meetings, mm-hmm. even as an extrovert, even as someone who loves meeting new people and talking about stuff, I'm, I'm going to be yeah. exhausted and yeah. going to have to do more to sort of stay stay up and stay happy. Yeah. So amazing segue into you've been doing rock climbing, which is cool. Yeah. I started thinking about it when you said physical activity and it's like, huh. <laughs> Yeah, so my physical activity that I have been doing for about two months now, I always feel like kind of embarrassed to say this. I, I used to be really into CrossFit. Nice. <laughs> I, I feel embarrassed to say that because I feel like people, their like mental image of a CrossFitter is like some super jacked human being who is just like mm-hmm. grunting and like throwing tires around. The CrossFit gym that I was a part of was very much not that. It was like very normal people who were not there to be like competing in CrossFit games, but we're just like trying to be active and healthy. And it was the first time I really stuck with a gym for a consistent amount of time. And, you know, really was super helpful for me and and really valuable. But I was starting to get to the point, I guess like three, four months ago now, actually, wow, noticing that I was having to really push myself to get into the gym more so than I had in the past. And so I kind of started thinking about mixing things up and rock climbing is something I've done a handful of times. And I've always wanted to like really dedicate myself to it and, you know, buy some shoes and like sign up for a membership and and really try it. Cause I've had the suspicion that I could enjoy it. And it kind of goes back to, have you read Atomic Habits? I have not. By James Clear, mm-hmm. really great book. And like, I think you can kind of distill Atomic Habits into the best way to form habits is to, not fight your nature, but instead like just make things easy and make them fun. And it's all just about different ways to do that. And so in that vein, I started thinking that something like rock climbing could maybe be a way to get the physical activity that I was getting from CrossFit, but in a way that felt more like play than a traditional gym environment, even one like CrossFit where things are varied and you have other people around, which did make it a lot more interesting for me. So right before I moved, I joined the small bouldering gym in Charleston and started bouldering a little bit and just like very quickly was like, oh yeah, I I like this a lot. And so as soon as I moved up here, I joined, there's this great gym called Dino Detroit Mm -hmm. and it's only been open for like three months. It's beautiful. It's massive. They have top rope, which is like climbing with a rope and they have bouldering. Um, They also have lead climbing or sport climbing, which is climbing with the rope, but where you sort of clip in as you go up the wall instead of having Mm -hmm. a rope above you. And 
It's been awesome. I am just addicted. I started listening to climbing podcasts. Nice. I bought a pair of climbing shorts. <laughs> I bought a harness. I got like my police certification. I, I just, I find myself thinking about climbing a lot mm-hmm. and it has been so far. We'll see if I, if I keep with it, but so far it has been exactly what I was looking for, which is, you know, a really good climbing session. I feel tired and like mm-hmm. get those endorphins, but the whole time it's just like playing. It's not like, I got to yeah. gear myself up to go like deadlift yeah. for a set of five. Or yeah, yeah. I hear you. I just went rock climbing the other day. Actually, oh, nice. um, I'm saying it the other day, like, but like last, like a month ago. Shout out to uh, Brooklyn Boulders. Oh, I've actually seen them on uh, r slash Boulder. Yeah, 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 no, they're they're awesome. Everyone there is super nice and it's and very good at climbing rocks. <laughs> I learned rock climbing in high school, and it's how I learned how to do like my first pull up. And cool. I just have always kind of done it on and off, mainly because my friends who really like it, and they're like, "Oh, you should come do this or that," but. That was the first time I found out that like liquid chalk is a thing and it blew my mind. <laughs> I have still never used okay. it. I've only used uh, powdered chalk. What does it feel like? It feels like really shitty hand sanitizer. <laughs> and that's what I thought it was at first. So so I, I go and with, with a friend, one of my designers, Chris, he's the one who, who does a lot of our, um, like the graphics for our merchandise now and whatnot. But he's really into rock climbing. He brought me... And I go see one of his friends, like, go to the hand pump station and just, like, it looks like a hand sanitizer place. And he just, like, keeps doing it. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of hand sanitizer that he's just kind of, like, rubbing all over his hand. (laughs) And then I look away, and when I look back, it's all suddenly just white. And it's, like, it's really cool. I think it's the same. I mean, I'm not good enough at rock climbing to tell you the difference between real chalk and, and liquid chalk, but I would say it's just about the same. It feels like slimy hands like shitty vodka based hand sanitizer that once it <laughs> evaporates your hand is like caked and and you're ready to climb and i don't know it's magic it doesn't come off i'll tell you that but like it took a very long time to wash it all off it gets all sticky once it gets wet again but yeah it's cool i think i'll stick to powdered chalk for the time being okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> you did not do a great job of selling i did that. not like nothing about that experience (laughs) sounded super pleasant (laughs) okay but it's really it's really cool it's almost like Mm -hmm. putting on hand sanitizer but your hands are chalky after wow that is (laughs) i'm not doing a better job okay still doesn't sound that's that's the title of this episode sean tries to sell liquid chalk (laughs) (laughs) so far though climbing has just been a blast like it's it's just enough of a workout to feel good and tiring. It's enough of like a fun puzzle game that I'm like, okay, this feels like I have to, I have to be physical, but I also have to use my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. I talked to a friend of mine who is an agent scanner and who has, I don't know that he was a professional climber. We'll have to ask him. We'll have him on the podcast at some point, but I don't know that he was a professional climber, but he definitely traveled all over the world with his wife living out of a van and like, doing big wall climbing and stuff and hearing him talk about it is really cool because he talks about how when you're on the wall, you have to be totally present because it requires so much focus. So you can't really be thinking about something else. And he talks about how climbing for years helped him build a really healthy understanding of risk and like a healthy relationship with risk so that 
in business, sometimes things that feel big and scary feel very, he's very comfortable with that feeling. And it's like, okay, I've been dangling from a 200 foot rock wall. Is this business problem I'm dealing with actually that scary? So it helps to normalize the risk somewhat. So yeah, I'm loving it so far. Hoping I stick with it. Yeah, it sounds like you really like it. So that's awesome. Cool. I think rock climbing is fun. I wish I did it more. So you, we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast yeah. and you were, you had a, a fun security culture topic to bring up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how this gets started. The security culture thing that I've seen on Twitter as of a couple of days ago and people kind of talking about it uh, has a lot to do with the bug bounty world. And basically Nafi, one of, one of like the top bug bounty hunters out there had made a tweet. And I don't think he's the first one to have tweeted this. Out. I think there were, were a couple of other people kind of talking about the efficacy of triagers who triagers are the people who are on the other side when you submit bugs and they look at your bug, they try to reproduce it. And then they say like, yeah, this is good or this is bad or, you know, and, and they are ultimately the people that decide if you get paid out or not. So there's like an already a little bit of Got tension it. in that relationship. Right. Um, it reminded me a lot of when I judge like the trace lab CTFs, like I'm effectively triaging like reports coming in and yeah so so there's already like tension in that relationship but i guess someone like there's been a trend of people kind of saying that triagers at one of the bug bounty platforms or some of the bug bounty platforms are really just ineffective at their job they don't know what they're doing like they don't have the technical ability to know what i'm talking about or they just have a really bad attitude that was interesting. I mean, I saw Martin Mikos, who's the CEO of HackerOne, get involved on a tweet thread as well. And a lot of people in the community have gotten involved. And then I think the last thing I've seen of it is Shubs, who is the co-founder of AssetNote, post the tweet, which we'll link in the show notes. But just having a little bit more empathy for triagers, but also showing or having us a little bit more empathy for like hackers. Just, I think his response was very diplomatic. Yeah, it was super diplomatic and super yeah, judicial, I guess was the word I was thinking of. And I think it really just comes down to like having empathy of, for the person on the other side, right? Like one side has worked really hard and is like, I think the, the emotional aspect of this relationship is the bug bounty hunter really wants to submit their bug so they get paid for it, but also they're probably scared that someone else has also found it and they they are hoping it's not a duplicate. So they need to they need to work on that. And I think that's why there's you know tension that's high because their entire fate is in the triager's hands. And then for the triager, especially because oftentimes triagers can even be juniors since for a lot of bugs, it doesn't take too much skill to reproduce, especially because hackers will kind of say like, oh, it's cross-site scripting. This is what I did to do that. And it's part of the report. But um, I think for triagers still, like it, it's the amount of things they're looking at every day, and it's just it's just a weird, complicated relationship that just needs understanding from both sides. I think so. The bug bounty concept in general, as someone who is who still feels like a little bit of a security outsider mm -hmm. trying to you know break in and, and get to know the security world, is bizarre and fascinating. Like I can't think of a of many parallels in other industries. <laughs> the only thing that popped into my mind, and mm -hmm. I hope this is not offensive to any bug bounty hunters out there, was just like, I saw someone the other day rounding up scooters, mm. like Lime scooters to charge. Yeah. And it's just like, what other industries are there these? But obviously that's that's kind of like a very, very low skill yeah. job. Like you don't need a whole lot of skill. 
And what other industries? They're this very high skilled job where people are just sort of independently going out and finding a piece of super valuable information and then just selling that information to a company. Apparently the beverage industry. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I want to point out that I don't know everything there is to know. I just happened to sit next to someone on a plane once. Who wow, you don't know everything there is to know? That's, about the beverage industry. So, <laughs> that, I am shocked, Sean. I thought you were omniscient this whole time. Yeah, well, me too. But then I, I was proven wrong yesterday. And that's, I know very little beverage about industry. the beverage industry. Yeah. But I did happen to sit next to someone who seemed like he knew a lot about the beverage industry. And he was explaining to me that in the beverage industry, like, you know how like everyone's kind of gone ahead and created like different seltzers and, and mm-hmm. hard seltzers and various drinks and things. So you can go that route where, you know, you can you can go make a drink and then, you know, work with a beverage contract, uh, co-packer or contractor to really kind of get the formula down, make sure it's like food safe and, and all this stuff. And you can go through this process or you can apparently just develop the branding around the drink. Let's say like I have a drink that that's called like Sean's drink. And Sean's drink is special and different than other drinks in the market because it's I don't know, like yuzu flavored seltzer, for example. Apparently, I can go to one of the big like five. It's like a little mafia in its own, apparently. But mm-hmm. I can I can go to one of the distributors and just sell them my idea. If they like it, they'll take it. And now I just kind of license it to them and I get paid out that way. And a lot of drinks apparently are actually created that way. They're just ideas that a lawyer had, like a patent lawyer had, and they just go and, or a licensing lawyer had and they just go license it. And, and I asked him, like, isn't this, like, kind of weird and, like, crummy? Or, or And he's like, no, there's, like, five lawyers that do this within the industry. And, like, they're really well-respected individuals that just sell their ideas. Do they not have to provide any market data, like, market research? Like, are they doing some marketing ahead of time to be like, hey, I've got thousand people on a list who are excited about this beverage? Or is it literally just figuring out a sort of hole in the market and creating? I have no idea. But from my experience working in the beverage industry or attempting to work on a beverage, I don't think you need a lot, mainly because anyone will try anything once. It's the difference between like someone going to buy like a SaaS app versus someone going to like CVS and seeing like, oh, here's a cool new drink. Like I might as well go ahead and try it. Mm-hmm. Although CVS, a lot harder to get into. Whole Foods is a secret. Whole Foods, super easy to get your drink into. That's why you Really? Yeah, yeah. Super easy. Fascinating. In some ways, what you're describing sounds almost more like drop shipping than bug bounties to me because it's like... That's fair. It's more about sort of just building up the kind of base of a company, the outward... Yeah aspects without the you know the underlying mechanics of developing product and it's like research it's just it's finding this piece of information that is super valuable yeah super interesting yeah yeah. i think it's a stretch that it's similar but it's the only thing i could think of at the time so (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's about as similar as lime scooters (laughs) yeah yeah exactly 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 so i wanted to give you a little update on the uh, design diagnostic project that we talked about last yeah, time. Yeah, So I had a, I had a meeting with our designer, Nathan, okay. who is spearheading this project for us. And first off, we have come up with a, a fun codename. Mm-hmm. Are codenames, do codenames still count if you talk about them publicly on a podcast? Yeah. 
It kind of that kind of ruins the point of coding. No, no, no. You're seeding the audience for your. I'm assuming you're going to release this project, so you're seeding the audience on the name. No, it's it's fine. It's like declassifying it. <laughs> so we are tentatively calling this Operation Dart. Okay. Do you want to take any guesses at what Dart stands for? Detection and Response Team. Oh crap! That's totally a thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Is, it, is it Design and Research Team? Kind of. Oh, uh, okay. we were we were calling it um, design autopsy design o- research team, N- not autopsy. Uh-huh. Um, design audit research and testing. Ah, uh. we started the process of doing some research to essentially answer the question: What does a good product look like? A well-designed product look like in the cybersecurity space? Mm-hmm. And you know, we already have a design audit process that we do for clients who have an existing product. Mm-hmm. So this research will hopefully help us to improve that process, make it better, um, make it more useful and, and more valuable, as well as give us a tool that we can use to start to do some analysis mm-hmm. on the state of design in the cybersecurity industry. That's our kind of our big vision for it in the future. So I talked to Nathan today, and the way he's thinking about approaching this to start with is coming up with a list of you know common pages, functions, and then themes and topics that show up time and time again in cybersecurity products. Mm-hmm. So very simple example of this would be authentication. Authentication comes up time and time again, and more specifically, two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. So how do different companies approach you know, two-factor authentication from a design standpoint and what makes a two-factor authentication design good or you know, bad? Mm-hmm. And then you know, we can expand this to different types of pages that deal with data, dashboards, all, all sorts of different things. So mm-hmm. right now, super early stage, we've just been doing some market research, trying to understand how other people do design audits, what other industries do so this is you know the Baymart Institute I think I mentioned last time is a big name in the e-commerce space and so we've been studying how they mm-hmm. have approached this in the e-commerce world. Mm-hmm. So yeah still super early Nathan is is working on putting together that list and trying to you know come up with what are the commonalities right now. And um, yeah we're starting just you know with the projects that we've worked on and then you know moving to public-facing security products, things like things like Great Noise and Shodan and different products like that. And then, you know, we'll continue to expand the research as we are able to. Cool. That's awesome. And I don't think you have to change the name. <laughs> uh, the name is pretty awesome. I'm not wedded to the name Dart at all. It's it's just been fun to give it an internal code name. It makes it feel a little more exciting and yeah. makes it feel like we're, we're really tackling some sort of fun research project. That's awesome. How many people are on this team? So right now, one. Uh, being a team of eight, we don't have a whole lot of, <laughs> of extra people to spare. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, Nathan is is heading up the process. Bina, our project manager, is helping to just oversee it and make you know keep things organized. And then I'm sort of driving the vision. Uh, so I guess really three people are on the team. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. eventually... Once we start getting to the point where we actually have deliverables, we'll include the rest of our design team. So we'll include uh, gotcha. Iris and Austin, our 
you know, junior designer and creative director so that they can provide input and provide an extra set of eyes and, you know, brainstorm mm-hmm. approaches with us. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm interested to see what that report and, and. Yeah. And we'll, we're taking a very iterative approach and, you know, we'll be transparent about this like we are with everything. So we'll probably, mm-hmm. you know, as we start having something interesting to talk about, we'll start talking about it publicly, like on our blog and our newsletter nice. on Twitter and just try to see if there's interest and excitement from the community. So nice. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I think that re- research projects like these go a long way in creating content that gives back, but also, you know, at the end, end of the day, it also helps with lead gen, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it worked for us. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it because one, I think it will be more a more compelling sort of basis for a conference talk. We submitted that talk to a couple of places about, you know, sort of the trends that we had seen work from our clients, mm-hmm. but that still feels a little bit more us oriented. And so this is as a little bit of a broader application, which I think mm-hmm. could be valuable. But then also I'm just really excited because I think doing this work is going to improve our design work and our process a lot. Yeah. You know, having to think about and articulate what makes good design and mm-hmm. what do we do well and what do we not do well right now. And, you know, the eventual plan would be do this at the beginning of every project and then also do it at the end mm-hmm. so that we can clearly say, Hey, this is where you have improved and this is where there's still room for growth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. We're going to try to keep pushing pushing on it. And I see this being like a multi-year thing. And even if we get sort of a first version out, I want to continue to update and mm-hmm. run more products through it and test the ideas mm-hmm. for years to come. Gotcha. Cool. I'm excited. That's awesome. So I wanted to talk about the creator yeah, yeah. company or something. We also try to watch trends and, and do our own research on some interesting things happening in security as well. This one's a little bit more security culture related, but it also has to do with design, right? Like this idea that the generation of security people are getting younger. And I think that there's a higher bar for well-designed products. And going back to this younger audience, like I started using TikTok recently (laughs) and the amount of like cybersecurity content on TikTok I think there's already like almost 300 million views in the cybersecurity hashtag itself. Wow. Itself, I'm shocked by is that. Honestly. Crazy. Yeah. But it's not even just that. I was like, yeah, there's like hashtag cybersecurity, but there's a lot of people who talk about OSINT without knowing they're talking about OSINT. There's people who talk about, you know, resellers, for example, right? Sneaker resellers. Mm-hmm. Like they all use bots and, and they work around like anti-bot, you know, like bot detection types of things. Like there's so many people who, who know things about security and don't even know that they're in security and there's this like weird like i don't know it's it's cool also by the way to like see this generation of security people start growing up on tiktok and then they move to like discords and like i join one of the one of the discords but like there's kids that are like are asking like oh like like how do i learn on my phone because i don't have a laptop the amount of persistence and and interest in it is very cool to see yeah i think there's also a little bit of gaming culture that's imbued in it mm-hmm. this I, like ddosing and i don't know like I, this was this has always been a thing since i was a kid like when you're 14 or 16 and you're learning about cybersecurity, like all you really know in the world is like what ddosing is and you just like oh someone's ddosing me or like you're ddosing them or whatever but it's just interesting to kind of see them start talking about it and how like they care a lot about opsec just because 
of the amount of gamers on Twitch that get the FBI SWAT team called on them, for example, or like Jeez. like kids caring about like having their IPs pulled or like getting hacked in like Roblox or something. It's it's just interesting. That's super cool. Yeah. In general, I will just say that Gen Z gives me so much hope for the world. Yeah. I feel like they are just more open and accepting of different people and yeah. different ideas. And uh, I have, they give me a lot of hope yeah. that like the world won't end in flames. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, we'll see. I don't know. Just was an interesting observation the other day. And I think that number is growing too, the number of views on TikTok. So So are you gonna start producing content for TikTok? <sighs> I've talked about it with the team. Not me, but specifically, you know, like we might grab one of these much cooler in the kids and, and have them be our <laughs> our miscreants intern. <laughs> They can they can make TikTok content for this is for the clothing line part, right? So, by the way, the reason I started looking at this was because we were looking to see if we could, you know, do the whole sponsoring and influencer marketing stuff since we can and and no one else is doing it. So, yeah, <laughs> I would be very interested if you did like a uh-huh. an influencer campaign for the clothing brand to see how that goes. Yeah, well, you'll see. We're planning on it. So. I have run a newsletter before that sold ads and it very much soured me to sponsored oh, yeah? marketing, like a lot of paid marketing. I don't know if it's newsletters or if it was my newsletter or what, but like mm-hmm. I eventually stopped accepting paid ads in my newsletter because even though there was still demands, there were still people wanting to sponsor things mm-hmm. or I would at least get like way pickier about it because most of the stuff it just wouldn't generate any value. And so then it was like, and I just felt weird taking people's money and not, I watch a lot of YouTube mm-hmm. um, and I go down often deep hobby related YouTube rabbit holes. Um, and I cycle through a bunch of hobbies and I'm always like sort of dipping my toes into new hobbies. Yeah, And I think that this isn't a brilliant new insight, but it has just showed me how, there are sectors where sponsored advertisement works very well. Um, and I think it just has to do with how closely aligned the offer is with the needs of the audience. Um, so, you know, the people selling in my newsletter were often selling software that like most people in my audience didn't care about, didn't need, didn't want, at least not right away. But like I have, I've spent a lot of time watching like Dungeons and Dragons YouTube. Nice. And the sponsorships just make so much freaking sense because they'll, it'll be like sponsored guidebooks or Mm -hmm. sponsors who sell like really intricate dice sets. Yeah. And it's almost like, I don't mind hearing about that sponsorship anymore. It's not intrusive at all because I'm like, yeah, I want to know where to go to find guidebooks and I want to know where to go to find really cool dice. Yeah. And uh, woodworking YouTube. The sponsorships are often tool companies and it's like, yeah, I do need to buy this tool. Yeah. And I'm now going to think about you know, this specific tool or whatever. And I guess, I guess it really does just go back to like how closely aligned are the audience and how like focused is the audience. Yeah. But there's also something to me about hobbies specifically, like what are the worlds where the audience is looking to buy things mm-hmm. and hobbies are one where, yeah, I'm looking to buy things to fuel my hobby. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm subscribed to a startup newsletter, I'm not really there looking to buy things so much. I'm more like looking for information. And I guess you could make the same argument about 
about the hobby stuff, but I don't know. I think it has to do with just how well you're, yeah, I mean, how well you're targeting, right? Is the ad really something that the audience will like? And I think usually the creator will know whether or not it's a good fit. And I think, yeah, when it's not a good fit, it's very recognizable or it's really easy to skip. And I don't think there's a lot of value brought back. But I think there's two ways you go about it when you are a, a company looking to sponsor, right? You either do the shotgun thing where you're NordVPN and you sponsor every single person on your NordVPN or Squarespace <laughs> and you sponsor every single YouTube channel in existence or you're, I think I was watching, yeah, I think I was watching like a woodworking thing and talking about like boots or something like this person just did like a micro ad, like a mini, mini ad sponsor advertisement for boots. Like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. This fits really well here. Like I didn't realize this was going to be an ad until he started saying the name. So yeah, who knows? What is your small effort going to be for the next couple of weeks? My small effort is to get out of my funk, to be honest. I think I need to eat better and more consistently. I tell myself that I'm intermittent fasting and that I'm just going to eat my 2000 calories at the end of the day. But like you, me and my mom also know that that's a lie. And really, I'm just being lazy. And yeah, I think just eating consistently and eating healthier and better instead of Taco Bell or something would probably make me feel better as a human being. So two things. One, don't beat yourself up because Taco Bell is delicious and exactly. it's engineered to make you crave it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> two, if you had to distill that down into just one thing, right? Because mm-hmm. eating healthier and more consistent is both big and True. large and difficult. So if you had to distill that down into one small effort, one small action you're going to take, mm-hmm. what would it be? Okay. Is this the atomic habit thing? Am I being atomic habits right no. now? Is this... <laughs> it's like, he keeps talking about breaking it down to one thing. I can't, like, why does this sound so... I think eating breakfast will be very helpful. How about eat a healthy breakfast tomorrow? Oh, okay. I didn't know we were going to go that small. Yeah. Sure. Eat eat a healthy breakfast tomorrow. Cool. That's a, that's a pretty good small effort. I don't think I've done that in months. So Cool. Start small. Yeah. What is your small effort, Andrew? Okay, so maybe you can help Atomic Habits me. Nice. I was looking forward to that. So So one of the things that I have been trying to do more of is posting to social media. So I am getting back into writing content, just hired an editor. We are creating this podcast, and I want to make sure that I'm putting a good amount of effort into promoting the content I'm creating, not just writing it. But I feel a lot of like imposter syndrome every time I start writing like Twitter threads and stuff because I'm just like, ah, fuck, does anyone want to hear this? Am I, is this going to come across wrong? Do people, does this just seem cringy? So I have had on my to-do list for a while to like schedule tweets to just like go into Typefully, this you know, new Twitter scheduling tool that I'm trying out and just schedule a week's worth of tweets. And maybe that's all, maybe that's all the small effort needs to be, but Curious if you have an idea for how to make that easier. Do you have a specific tweet or Twitter thread in mind? Not at the moment. Gotcha. Is the thing that's holding you back tweeting something out on social media or scheduling something to be tweeted out on social media? Kind of either or. Like just every time I go to publish content on Twitter in particular, I just get a little self-conscious. Maybe if publishing is the is the scary part, then maybe my small effort will be to just brainstorm a bunch of things I could talk about on Twitter mm-hmm. and then 
you know, that then makes it easier and gets me one step closer to, to scheduling things. I like setting a hard number on and then not ever using the word like some when it comes to these things. So like mm -hmm. three different Twitter thread ideas that you could publish. And cool. that sounds like a pretty good small effort, you know, three Twitter threads. It is cool. I'll, I'll make breakfast and, and, <laughs> and you make a Twitter thread. <laughs> I like it's it. funny I like because it. it sounds like we're children who are not yeah, capable yeah. of getting yeah. anything done. We're not. We're definitely not children. <laughs> this is the reality. Everyone everyone deals with this stuff and it's okay to make things easy. Yeah. I'm kind of glad that... Uh, I, I think that every single time we've recorded, even in the lost episodes, <laughs> that, that won't see the light of day for a while, uh, I think the small effort has always been actually fairly large. Mm -hmm. And it actually feels a lot more surmountable to go and make a healthy breakfast tomorrow, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, it was good recording with you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll see you later. Catch you later, Sean. Cool. Bye. Bye. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.